The following audio is by Crossfield Baptist Church. More information about Crossfield Baptist Church is available online at www.crossfieldbaptist.com. Hi there, church family. Um, I'm really glad to be with you again, and I hope you're glad to be together online with other people. And we really hope that you're doing well. We hope that you're staying healthy and that your needs are being met. And we want to remind you that if you or anyone you know um, is just struggling financially, maybe their their salary has been cut back um, to EI or something like that, uh, we want you to feel free to just call, say you're going to come in and get some groceries for somebody. We don't need to know the name of the person. And if, if you need uh, groceries, we want you to come as well. But uh, you can take a couple hundred dollars worth of groceries and just kind of ease the pain for somebody a bit. So please uh, do that. Bless somebody that way. And um, we would be so happy to know that that's happening. Uh, we're going to continue a series. This is the last one of the One Another's. And I want to start it by asking you a question, not a trick question, a real question. And here it is. If you had to choose an animal in the animal kingdom to symbolize wisdom, which animal would you choose? And I know that um, for some reason, the owl has been chosen as the animal symbol of wisdom. I'm not quite sure why. They're usually in the dark. And so I'm not sure why they're wise. <clears throat> I would personally choose a cow. And um, I think I've explained this to you one other time, but let me, I've done some more research, so let me explain it to you again. A cow is called a ruminant. And that means that a cow chews the cud. It will go about grazing, uh, taking in food, chewing it, making it moist, swallowing it down to its stomach. It'll do this for a while. And then it will sit in a field and it will bring that same food back up to its mouth and it will be chewing the food again. Then it swallows it down and it'll do it again. And it keeps doing this all the while digesting the food. In fact, cows spend nearly eight hours of every day chewing their food. And what that means is they chew up to 40,000 times in a day. And I've always thought, um, as I look at cows sitting in the field, um, placidly looking around them and chewing away, that they always look very thoughtful to me. <laughs> in fact, uh, we use English idioms about that event uh, to express thoughtfulness. And so a cow is called a ruminant. And um, if somebody ever catches you staring off into space and asking you, what are you doing? You might say to them, I'm ruminating. And what you mean by that is, I am pondering big ideas. I'm thinking things through. Or you might say to someone who maybe they give you a brand new idea to think about, and you might go, you know, before I say what I think, let me chew on that for a while. <laughs> Um, and what we mean by that is, let me think about that for a while. I need to analyze this. I need to look at it from every angle. I need to break it down. I, I need to understand it. So let me chew on it for a while. Now, <clears throat> that brings me to a point, a real point here. Um, why are we looking at these one another's again? Uh, haven't we looked at enough one another's? And the answer is, is that the Bible encourages ruminating. The Bible encourages 
meditating. The Bible encourages us to take the thoughts of God and to ponder them, to analyze them, to break them down, to see them from different angles, to work out how they apply, to chew on the truth until we've digested it and it's become a part of us. Now, unfortunately, we live in a fast food culture. And what that means is that we want somebody else to prepare our food. We want it to come easily to us. We want it to have an explosion of flavor, and then we want to move on. And the Bible teaches that the truth is not fast food. The truth is not fast food unless we chew on it at length and repeatedly we won't properly digest it. And so we need to think over truths repeatedly until we have absorbed them and they've become a part of our lives. It's not enough for us to hear one good sermon, you should love each other, because we don't digest it. We can agree with it at the time, we can sort of swallow it, but it hasn't yet become a part of the way we live, a part of who we are. And so I want to give you again some truth to chew on. And let me introduce it to you this way. <clears throat> Jesus came into the world to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. That is the reign of God truly and really on the earth. And so heaven invaded a rebellious, lost suffering, hurting, confused, wandering world when Jesus came. And Jesus lived this perfect life, the life that God had required of humanity. He lived in obedience to God perfectly. And then, as the Old Testament anticipated for 1,500 years, he died as an atoning sacrifice on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. But not only did he come to save us from the penalty of sin, he comes to save us from the pollution of sin. That is, the death of Christ washes you and I clean when we put our trust in him. God sees us as clean no matter what our past has been. And then he not only saves us from those aspects of sin, but he saves us from the power of sin. Ultimately, he will save us from the very presence of sin when he returns to create a new earth out of this earth and a new heaven. Now, he invites others to believe in Jesus as their king. So here's a question. How is the world ever going to believe that that whole narrative is true? How are they going to believe that that is really a fact, that there is that great hope to live forever with Christ in a new heaven and a new earth. How are they ever going to believe that? And the Bible is clear. It's, it's not by uh, another return of Christ to share the gospel again and to die on the cross. It's not going to be by the appearance of a, a bunch of angels in the sky uh, to overwhelm people with the truth. It's going to be through ordinary mortals like you and me who have been transformed by the power of God, who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, who are compelled to become more like the image of God as they were intended to be. 
That's how people will know. They will know by the way that we relate to others, each other especially, and in a simple word, by the way they love each other. Now, this is what Jesus said. I know you've heard this before, but think on it. Chew on it. John 13, 35 says this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if, if you love one another. Anything other than love denies that Jesus has come into the world, denies that the gospel represents truth, denies that Jesus is now establishing his kingdom on the earth. Now, Paul explains this love uh, more descriptively. He kind of expands, he's cogitated on this, he's ruminated, he's thought it over, and he's describing it from very many angles by using one Greek word, Elilois or Elilus, which means one another, and then tying loving behavior to that Greek word. And so he'll say to people, be devoted to one another, pray for one another, serve one another, uh, love one another, edify one another, accept one another, submit to one another, admonish one another in love, um, encourage one another, carry one another's burdens. He, he does this uh, about 40 times. And, and so what that tells us is that those who are living a kingdom life practice these things most completely. The opposite is true. Those who are not living in the power of the Spirit of God, it doesn't matter if they are a pastor, it doesn't matter if they have memorized the whole Bible, if they're not practicing these one another's, if they're not loving others, then they're not living in the power of God. If they, um, and, and Paul represents this with that same Greek word, alelois, and ties it to negative behavior. And he says, you know, don't judge each other. Don't envy each other. Don't grumble against each other. Don't slander one another. Don't bite one another. Don't provoke one another. Um, don't envy one another. Don't hate one another. Don't lie to one another. And so he uses those to describe what is not representative of the kingdom. Okay, now this, this brings us to a really big lesson here. Are you ready for it? The one another's tell us that God intends every follower of Christ to be closely tied, to be in a relationship with a local church body. When God brings us into our relationship with himself, he also puts us into relationship with a local church body. The one another's are practiced in person primarily. That's what we're going to be seeing. And so the brightest beacons of the kingdom of God, those who make the gospel believable, are those who best exhibit the one another's in their lives. They, they live by the positive one another's, and they don't live by the negative one another's. So let's look at our last, for now, our last um, one another, and uh, that is greet one another. Greet one another. Paul says this a number of times in the Bible. And, you know, I, I have to admit that when I first anticipated creating a sermon out of this, I, I really wondered, what am I going to say? I mean, 
how important can it be that we greet each other in church or when we pass each other in the store or whatever? Um, how much can I say? Can I fill up 25 minutes on this idea of greeting one another? But as I looked into it, I was um, taken aback by its importance in the Bible. You just have to think about it. And the first thing I noticed was that it is a command, it is a command that's repeated five times in the New Testament. Uh, at the end of his letter to the Romans, Paul writes, um, greet one another with a holy kiss. He does that in his first letter to the Corinthians. He ends the letter with that exact command. And then he, when he writes them a second letter, he, he, he makes that same command again. When he writes to the church in Thessalonica, he says, greet all God's people with a holy kiss. And then when Peter is writing to all the Jews scattered throughout the Mediterranean, and so in different places they would have got a copy of his letter, um, he, said, he ends that letter, greet one another with a, with a kiss of love. So it's very important because it's commanded by, by God for us. And then the second thing is I realized that you could possibly measure the health of a church by this apparently very simple command. Um, some time ago, we had um, some people visiting our church here. And um, they asked me, um, I could tell that they were maybe church shopping a bit, wondering if this was a church that they should go to. And uh, so after we had chatted a bit in the lobby, uh, the husband asked me, so how is this church doing? And uh, I could tell that they were probably fairly experienced uh, Christians and churchgoers. They'd been to churches that looked good on the surface, but once you get in, you find out it's not so good underneath. He wanted to know, for me, how is this church doing? And I wanted to be honest with him, and so I, I acknowledge we're not a perfect church. We have our problems and, and flaws ourselves. But, take a, uh, but I think we have signs of health. And he said, oh, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, look into the worship center there. And it was about 20 or 30 minutes after the service, but when he looked into the worship center, what he saw was a lot of people still in groups, still greeting one another. When a church is greeting one another warmly, there's a sign, a feeling of health in that church. And uh, when a church is unhealthy, when a church is in conflict or divided, you can see it in the greetings or the lack of the greetings. And so you could go to any church, and if you were allowed, put cameras on the walls, and then watch what it films, and you would be able to tell the state of the church by observing the greetings. Who won't greet who? Who quickly walks out of the church without greeting anyone? How many of the people do that? And you get a picture of the health or the lack of health in the church. So I want to just answer two questions, one um, a bit at length and then the other one quite shortly. But first of all, what does it mean when Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss? And secondly, why is it important to greet one another warmly? And the first thing is this, uh, what does it mean 
uh, to greet one another with a holy kiss. Um, when I was uh, visiting Russia some time ago, um, I was gathering with a, a bunch of church leaders, and um, I noticed, I was one of the first ones in the room as the church leaders gathered, and I noticed that as each one walked in, they would give a big bear hug to the other men in the church. And I was quite shocked to see two of these burly guys walk in, give the pastor a big hug, and give him a kiss square on the lips. And uh, I talked to my translator later, and he told me that uh, in Russia, to express a close bond man to man, they will kiss each other on the lips. It's just a planted kiss on and off, but it's a sign that they value and esteem each other. Now, in New Zealand, apparently, men who are close to each other, they'll rub noses uh, with each other. In our culture, we express appreciation or closeness or that we value somebody by warmly shaking their hands and more and more um, with some of us by giving each other a hug. Now, in Paul's day, the way that they expressed that they valued another person, that they found worth in the other person, was to give them a kiss, uh, probably a kiss on the cheek. And so you remember when Judas came uh, to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with a troop of soldiers behind him. He walked up to Jesus and gave him a kiss on the cheek. And Jesus objected. Jesus didn't object to the formality. He objected to the hypocrisy. He was basically saying to Judas, Judas, why in the process of betraying me do you betray pretend to value me. It was hypocrisy. Now, Paul is concerned to promote the form, or pardon me, he's not concerned to promote the form of greeting, but the function of the greeting. He is saying this. This is what it means. I want you to affirm that you value each other by greeting each other warmly. In whatever way you do it, in Canada or New Zealand or in Russia, I want you to greet each other warmly. You are not to avoid each other in the lobby. You are not to just pass by each other like ships in the night. You are to look at that person and greet them warmly, however you do it. In other words, you need to affirm that you value them. And you must express that there is this warmth among you with each other. Now, Elsie and I, some years ago, we, um, we were um, going to be in an area for a short time. And uh, so we started attending a church that was a fair distance from us. And we would drive into Vancouver um, because we wanted to listen to Bruce Milne, who was a, a really good preacher. And uh, we knew we weren't going to be there very long. And so for three months, we were consumer Christians. We were there for what we could get out of the church. And so when we walked up to the front door and we were greeted by the greeters, we were courteous, but we weren't really interested in knowing his name and not, not interested in talking about our lives together or anything like that. We would just be courteous and then we'd move on. And we would uh, take our seats. We would sing the songs and worship and enjoy that. We would listen to Bruce Milne's sermon, and then we'd get up and we just left. 
And what Paul is saying is, don't do that. <laughs> when you get together, you better say hi to somebody warmly. Now, you don't have to be uh, one of these effusively warm people if that's not you. But you need to have warmth in your heart. You need to greet each other warmly. That's what Paul is saying. Now, why is this important? Uh, why take time to greet other people in this way, in a way that communicates that you value them? And I'll just remind you that it's commanded. I was talking to somebody recently, and they surprised me. They said, Dave, not everyone's like you. you. For you, it's good enough. If God has commanded it, then you want to do it. But for a lot of people, they need motivation beyond that. But brothers and sisters, it should be enough that God has commanded it. Not to do it is defiance, even if it's passive defiance. It's the will of God, and we should do it. The second thing, and I've already alluded to it, is that the absence of warm greetings is a sign of a problem in a church. It's like the proverbial canary in the mine shaft. When the canary dies, there's poison in the shaft. When greetings die, there's poison there. You know, it's one thing if three or four people slip out as soon as the service is over and don't want to talk to anybody. Um, it's another thing if two, two, a half of the people are slipping out. I was going to say two quarters. Uh, there's something wrong. There's something unhealthy about that church. And when you see people who are avoiding each other, who are walking around and not wanting to even look at each other, there's a problem in the church. And I think we always need to start with ourselves. If I'm not greeting another person, what am I doing to fix that? You know, I, I understand that it's very hard to walk up to somebody if you're shy. But I also understand that it's very hard to greet somebody warmly if you feel quite injured by that person, if you feel betrayed by them, if you feel that they have done something quite offensive in your eyes. It's, it feels a little bit like Jesus in the garden. It feels hypocritical to just pretend everything is good and to give a warm greeting to that person. And I'm not sure that God expects you or I to do that. But he does expect us to do all we can to fix that. I remember talking to a woman once who um, said that she realized she had a problem when she found herself avoiding another particular woman in the church, and she realized she felt quite offended with this woman and really did not want to greet her when she came into the church. And she knew that she had to do something about it. It's just not right when brothers and sisters in Christ avoid each other. And so she did what she needed to do. She called this sister up, and she confessed to her, listen, I'm, I'm having real problem. I know I should um, be greeting you warmly, but every time I go to do that, I just can't do it. And I need to talk to you about why. I need to, I need to work this through with you because I don't want to be there. I want to greet you warmly. And so they agreed to get together, and they talked it through. And as best they could, they got an understanding with each other. They forgave each other. They let some things go. And then they were able to greet each other again. 
So we need to start with ourselves. If we are struggling to greet other people in the church, the first thing we need to do is put eyes on ourselves. Have I done everything possible that I can do to make this better? And there may be times that you, you know, no matter what you do, this person is always going to be hostile. They're always going to be antagonistic. And you can't really have a warm relationship. They've, they've made it clear they don't want that. And, uh, and you can't have that. But when you stand before God, you need to be able to say, I, I did everything I could to restore this friendly environment between us. Here's another uh, couple of reasons why this is so important, and I'll just state them briefly. You cannot live the most abundant, spirit-filled life when you are refusing to do what he's leading you to do. You can smother the life of the Spirit in you. And sometimes it almost seems like the Holy Spirit will bring us to a point, and when we say no, we don't seem to make progress after that. We don't experience his nearness, his power, as much. It quenches the Spirit of God. The second thing is this. A church cannot have the most abundant, Spirit-filled experience as a church body, when people are like ships in the night, when they are not greeting each other warmly, when they're not taking at least a bit of time before they slip out of the service to just take an interest in somebody else, to, to let them know they're valued by a simple but sincere greeting, a warm greeting. And thirdly, the church will never have the impact on its community it might have if they have an environment lacking the warmth that a warm greeting brings. Now, I'm going to close in prayer here, but I, I want to suggest something you can think about, talk about with people in the room with you, or just go to a Zoom link that has been emailed to your box and join one of our chat groups. But here's, here's one thing to think about. Without naming names out loud to other people, without naming names, are there people in this church you avoid greeting? And if so, what do you think about that after listening to this message? So I'm sure that there are all, all of us have certain people in our lives that we have a trouble uh, feeling warm towards. Um, what, does, what does this text, what do these verses say to you? And the second thing is, um, just about life, who has made you loved, or pardon me, who has made you feel loved and valued this week or last two weeks, and how did they do that for you? How did somebody make you feel loved and valued in the last couple of weeks, and what was it that they did that made you feel loved and valued? So let's pray about it together. Our Father, we just um, pause for a moment because we know it's one thing to hear the truth. It's another thing to absorb it. Help us to absorb it. Help us to impact our lives. Help us to embrace the reality that not only do you want a relationship with us, but you want us in relationship with others. We cannot greet someone with a holy kiss through the World Wide Web. It has to be in person. So help us to be committed 
devoted to a local body of believers and help us to work out this whole idea of giving warm greetings, genuinely warm greetings to other brothers and sisters. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio by Crossfield Baptist Church. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. More information about Crossfield Baptist Church is available online at www.crossfieldbaptist.com.